So that's my uh, left field thing is, wow, we got another approval. Yeah, you know, we now one company with two products. That's a moment, the second moment and uh, give them a pat on the back. Uh, but I'm still really, you know, I'm really depressed about the overall commercialization rate in the field. Well, thank you very much for joining us for Facilitate Talks. I'm Michael Adenia, Portfolio Director at Facilitate. And if you're joining us for the first time, Facilitate Talks is a socially distanced talk show for the advanced therapies community where Anthony and I are joined by two guests to discuss the big issues in cell and gene therapy. Um, but there's always a twist, as we all know. And that twist really is, rather than us ask the questions, we get you guys to bring the questions to the table. Um, and, you know, no holds barred discussion. And, you know, we just cover everything that comes up. And if you, if you enjoyed the format, please discuss. Um, yeah, if you enjoyed the format, please feel free to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify. You can catch this podcast on all the available platforms. Um, and if you really like us, then please become a member of Facilitate as well. And you'll get invites to special events like we've got one coming up in September, Advanced Therapies Connect, which is a members only networking shindig. Um, and please join us at facilitate.co.uk forward slash subscribe. So on to today's show. And I am so delighted to have the two guests that we have today. First up, we've got, again, just going in the order of who I see in my screen. So up first is joining us from North London, I think it is, isn't it? Yeah. It is, yeah. Um, and his age definitely doesn't reflect his experience in this industry. Um, a graduate with distinction from King's College London um, in what is probably quite a unique master's degree in cell therapy from bench to market. So you literally studied this space um, fairly recently as well and currently holding a business development role with STEM Matters, a CDMO based out in Portugal and supporting a range of global cell and gene therapy developers. Also holds a position with Termis, the Tissue Engineering and Regenerative Medicine Society and even closer, so you've actually, and you've organized conferences and events in this space as well and even close to home you've even done put a shift in working with us at facilitate as well mm. and it's none other than ollie ball um my good friend and thank you so much for joining us ollie what a very kind introduction mike thank you so much really pleased that you could make it and you know i can actually get to see you and hang out with you you and this time without your flatmates in the background cooking, oh, cooking they'll probably be in soon <laughs> and secondly we've got um someone else who is also from a cdmo background um with long stints in uh, cambrex and and then lonza where he head up headed up the global business development for cell and gene therapy followed by a, a detour to Asia, joining Helios, a Japanese cell and gene therapy company, as chief commercial officer, and has most recently been appointed as president and chief commercial officer of Akron Biotech, the raw materials powerhouse based out in Boca Raton. Thank you very much for joining us, Dave Smith. Well, thank you, Michael. Nice intro. Look forward <laughs> to talk. 
Good to see you. It's been a long time since I've seen you. Oh, it's a long time since I've seen any of you in person. Um, and it's always a pleasure to see you bumping around the corridors of conferences. And, and you know, this is a really opportune time to, to get you on a show with us and, and talk about some big manufacturing issues. That'd be great. Looking forward to it. I, I think this is just a really interesting combo we have here, Michael. Um, you know, Ollie, King's, King's College has been a powerhouse in, in Regen Med uh, in the older days, more the termist sort of Regen Med, and more recently, Selangene. Uh, it's always been an early adopting powerhouse, but uh, for you to be able to graduate from King's in London uh, with, a, with a, you know, a titling with that specificity, I think, you know, Dave and I, shall we say, uh, representing uh, a, a somewhat older, uh, <laughs> looking and older generation uh, in, in cell and gene therapy. Uh, seriously, it, it, it's, I'm, I'm kind of in awe that uh, this is sort of, it's, it's a finally happening moment, right? It's finally happening uh, that, uh, you know, professionals news of the field like yourself are emerging with this specific educational qualification, which, uh, you know, Dave, we would have killed for people with that titling uh, 10 or 20 years ago, right? Yeah, I mean, it's been a long time coming, but, you know, the bleeding edge was 20 years ago for us. And uh, we really struggled to come up with the people that were had the background that we needed. This would have been lovely to, to move things forward. I mean, heck, they let you and me in 20 years ago, Dave. So, uh, you know, what can I say? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely the intention of uh, doing doing the course as well. I think the the guys who ran the course at, at King's College, Francesco and Dusko, um, to give them a shout out, definitely saw the need for this type of combination of skills, I think. The combination of technical and commercial awareness. Um, uh, so it's been a flourishing degree. When I did it, I was actually the first, the only person doing the course when I did it. And it was on the first year they ran the module, they ran the course. So they did say to me, you were, you were the highest performing student that I year. I was the both highest and lowest and median and average performing student. So I don't know if that's good or bad, but <laughs> I came out the other end. So I guess that's a positive sign. But yeah, and, and, like, and Dave, you know, did, did you think uh, we met in Camberex, Walkersville? 2002, three? Sounds about right. And uh, did we really think this would happen in, did you think this would happen in 20 years as it has or in 10 or never, honestly, that when we met then? Uh, honestly, I was in a, the 10 range. Uh, I thought we, we yeah. would be there in 10 years. I thought, you know, MSCs or one of the vaccines or tissue ones would come forward and, and be that first breakthrough blockbuster. Um, you know, it, let's, you know, think about it, MSCs were at their heyday and they've almost gone 360 now and yeah. come back to the heyday with the COVID and um, ARDS. You know, we thought yeah. that was gonna happen 10 years ago. And it might well happen now, which as you say is uh, just an amazing 360 turnaround. Yep. So when you guys first met, where, where were you working, Anthony? Oh my gosh, uh, I was working in transfusion medicine at that time. That was the, the phase, one of the many phases of indecision in my life when I was 
sat between my early experience in gene therapy and before my later experience in cell therapy. And I was doing a little bit of work in transfusion med at a company uh, in Boston, uh, looking to develop universal red cells and then essentially competing with stem cell companies in that regard. And I came out to uh, this very, um, shall we say, bucolic and uh, fertile farmland, otherwise known as Walkersville. And uh, to my surprise, found a developing infrastructure for what I think then we really just called cell therapy, Dave. And uh, over subsequent years, I took uh, aloe and auto products into various of Dave's facilities. And, uh, it, but it all started out, uh, it all started uh, next to the cows in Walkersville, right, Dave? Uh, yeah, it was truly next to the cows in Walkersville. Uh, we were very early. And when we look at those suites in those old, from the old days, they were quite an interesting uh, mixture of uh, building rooms that no one knew what they were going to be. Um, yeah. So we've learned a lot over the years. Uh, just it's, talking it's about I think, I think I honestly felt, Dave, and we can look back on this with some fondness and some regrets. I felt that Lonzo Walkersville, uh, Lonzo Walkersville was the, the center of the universe for cell and gene therapy manufacturing. And it, it did a good job at the center of the universe then. And now uh, things have changed. Yeah, it's things have changed. Walkersville on the map. What's that? Definitely, definitely put, wa wa it definitely put Walkersville on the map. Walkersville's it's still not on the map. <laughs> well, no, but if you think about it, Anthony, in 2002, we did our first 10 stack project, which, you know, the fact that we were harvesting 10, 10 layers was incredible at the time. Uh, no one had ever even thought about a billion cell harvest in those days, but it, it, it did change. Ollie, are you lost in admiration or just despairing at how uh, old and out of touch <laughs> we are? A bit of both. <laughs> That's nuts, Dave. That's nuts. So just to, just to add some context then, Ollie, um, where were you in 2002? Oh no, I don't want to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. were alive, right? 2002, I was 10 years old, yeah. It's just insane. That's, that's... When did you first hear about cell and gene therapy, Ollie? How old were you, honest to God? Um, I think I remember reading about it when I was in, uh, probably in, in my sixth form. But, you know, then it was, I, I was excited by regenerative medicine as a general concept. You know, it was yeah. stem cells, promise of the future. Um, and I kind of got into it through being excited about iPSCs that were going into the clinic when I was in my undergraduate degree at the Ricken Institute. So that's kind of where I, I really took my first interest in it and wrote my undergrad thesis on iPSCs at the time. <laughs> and kind of just been pursuing What was that? What year was the iPSCs? uh 2013 kind of time so i think that was right around the nobel yeah right exactly. around the nobel but they were doing some amd trials i think because they're kind of yeah. first in human um and it was big news at the time so easy to get caught in the hype um and it definitely definitely channeled me in this direction because it's 
you know it's it's just cool it's as simple as that it's yeah like, but yeah but you know going back to your degree as much as yeah. it was shaped it's all your, your masters at, at king's it's as much mm. as that was titled and it's almost geared towards getting people into the industry to to do the work that dave and anthony would love to have more people doing um you also clearly had a passion for this in the first place so as much as yeah, you know, that degree, that degree kind of found you, but you, it sounds like that was the sort of thing you were looking for because working, you know, I've worked with yeah. you and I know that both the science and the commercial aspects of this space intrigue you, intrigue mm. you massively. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all about, I mean, what, what really interested me the most is like, how can we actually use these things further than just being research interests? And that's you know but going down into this commercialization pathway through this masters was a really natural fit for me because it exactly helped me to move in that direction towards you know using these technologies to make an impact and it was exciting at the time because it was like okay now we're actually thinking about how we can really use you know stem cells at the time i was like okay i was, I was new to the whole thing as i like, it just sounds like something that i really want to get involved in um and now i've learned so much more about it it's, it's just become more interesting so but it's you know the, the innovation is 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 really a big draw i think you know this industry is a kind of a sexy industry i think um it's 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 aesthetic in a way and uh and it's you know it's all for a good cause so it's got a good human side to it well sure, i think what's yeah well i think what's impressive is that you know london has been a cornerstone of the the cutting edge through all these years um you know, while the industrialization has gone on more in the U.S., but realistically, the first meetings, the first degrees, the first everything would have been coming out of London since, the, you know, the very beginning. So it's it's kind of great to see that they're they continue to lead the 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 cutting edge on the educational and and developmental side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there's a lot of innovation going on. I mean, a lot of the advanced therapy stuff coming out of the UK is all out of, out of academia, you know. The universities there have been totally instrumental. And it's, it's a nice recognition of the, I think, academic strengths that exist in, in particularly London, that the, we've managed to progress the European field so much um, through that kind of translational pathway from bench to market, you know, from academia to industry. I think it's something that people are looking at more and more as a model for innovation now, right? Trying to leverage some of the, the expertise and the technical knowledge within academia and trying to have a slightly more partnered approach to uh, developing, you know, innovative technologies rather than doing everything in a traditionally integrated big pharma. Thinking about how we can leverage different, different ways of working together and trying to really capitalize on um, on the you know the the critical mass of of, of expertise in in higher institution centres, I think it's a great great way of doing it, and it and it certainly makes it exciting and, and inspiring for people who are going through the education system as well. So that's another aspect of it. It's uh, it, it draws uh, human resources into the market as well. Whether you knew it or not, the world became a different place when the pandemic hit. Although this was an uncertain time, much of the world has adapted and made the best of the situation whilst learning lots of new skills along the way. We learnt new dance skills, became master chefs, and got creative with exercise. The good old days seemed like a distant memory. Remember when you used to get excited about going to conferences? When you would bump into someone at a coffee station and find out you went to the same college? After speaking with you over the past few months, we realised that this is the thing you're missing most, those moments of connection. 
Virtual events, whilst providing great content, are not providing you with the right platform to connect with your peers. So we started thinking, how can Facilitate adapt and help? Let me tell you about Advanced Therapies Connect. Our goal is to help you to connect with others in a more natural way. You can make new connections powered by Matchmaking AI and our personalised Facilitate Match team. Or join a roundtable, working group, coffee hangout, or partnering meeting, giving you the chance to bump into people virtually. And of course, we cannot forget about the Facilitate Virtual Pub Quiz, a great chance to show off your knowledge and quizzing prowess. Fancy joining us? Well, you can, and it's free. Become a member today and get ready for two connection-filled days on the 29th and 30th of September. Advanced Therapies Connect, where connections happen virtually. I was going to say before we jump into the the, the meat of the, the conversation and 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 get get our guests to to pose our questions, um, our viewers that, that are watching this rather than listening to to the audio podcast, Anthony, they're probably wondering where you are right now because you're clearly not in your usual spot in your Bay Area office. Where are you? Yes, so we uh, actually made the decision to travel this week. Um, we have a, um, my wife's family has a relative who's uh, been quite ill recently, actually was herself the recipient of a bone marrow transplant and is working through some of the, uh, the complications following that procedure. So you know, that alone really brought it home to me and, uh, and my family, the, you know, the realities of, uh, of, of what is essentially one of the oldest and most successful um, cell therapies. And so we've traveled to Wisconsin for the week to spend some time with my wife's family. Oh. And uh, as you know, some of the uh, some of the younger Davies family members even made an appearance earlier on the show. And uh, that's uh, so we uh, we're in uh, rural Wisconsin uh, on a on a an appropriately distanced uh, family vacation uh, this week. So quick sidebar then you, you've been to an airport, you've flown with the family because yeah. you know, I, I, us in the UK, like I don't think I'm ready to get on an aeroplane yet to yeah. another country just yet. So just in, I mean, yeah, is that the first time you've done that since, since March? Uh, Pretty since March. March. Yeah. And uh, you know, it was a long family discussion about, whether to do it, why we're doing it, whether we should do it, and so forth. Um, you know, all of that aside, I, I will say um, the air travel experience was actually relatively normal. And uh, normal in the sense that, you know, a three-year-old had a meltdown mid-flight, and, uh, you know, we forgot a critical few items at home. Uh, and the airport, I would say, was it was like a quiet day at the airport and uh you know other people's experiences have told me that uh, until relatively recently it was like a a day when the airport was closed uh, on the plane everyone's masked up everyone's courteous and as distant as possible uh that was the cleanest plane i've been on so if one good thing comes out of this pandemic it's not picking the previous person's peanuts out of the seat you're sitting on and um, yeah, it was actually, I wouldn't say an anticlimax, but it was yeah. not excessively stressful. And it gave me some hope that, um, 
that air travel and travel can be executed fairly well uh, in the fairly near future, Michael. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. And Michael, just so you know, Wisconsin is in the same country as as uh, San Francisco, but most people would not consider that, but it is. Yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe, the we'll my, uh, maybe my wife will come back on to comment on that later, uh, Dave. <laughs> she made the move from Wisconsin to the Bay Area, and then she met me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did you Is guys buy one-way tickets? Did you buy one-way tickets? Stop it. Let's go move on. Next, next item, Michael. From the pure, from the pure life. She went from the pure life to the Bay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where are you based? I have no idea what we're talking about here, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Where Where are you based, Dave? Uh, Tampa. Have you so, always been in Tampa? No, no. I just moved from Maryland. I'm, I'm like the. Uh, there's a, a migration with in the U.S. away from taxes. Um, so there, there's very distinct tax laws depending on the state, and um, it's very interesting. The neighborhood I live in is almost all New Englanders who uh, who commute from Florida a thousand miles into New York and Boston and Maryland to get for tax reasons. Wow. Yeah. On a weekly basis. Yeah. Yeah. But now do you do you travel from Tampa into Boca Raton then? Yeah, sometimes. I, I've actually been traveling back and forth. I still have a place um, up in Baltimore. So I go back and forth between here and Baltimore. I've gone back and forth uh, four or five times in the last couple of months. Because uh -huh. I, How's that run been on the plane, Dave? Easy. It's like the milk run. Why don't we move on into the questions um, and get into the meat of this show? So who's up first, Anthony? I'd like to hear from Oliver. I'd like to hear Oliver's perspective uh, on the manufacturing issues we were discussing earlier uh, offline, Oliver. I mean, for, you know, from our perspective at STEM Matters, we don't really see much innovation here at all in, in the downstream side of things, I think. You know, we, we tend to work with, with smaller companies who are perhaps using the, the better established, more traditional approaches to fill and finish and actually to other aspects of bioprocessing as well. Um, and, you know, I think the, the, the leading players in the space are, are really going to have to be the ones to drive the adoption of, of change if um, the other 80, 90 percent of the industry is going to be able to keep up and, and, uh, and really you know, overcome the challenges that, that the leading players are, are taking. So I think there's, uh, you know, an interesting um, thing, point to consider about, you know, how, how long it's actually going to take for the, the, the really disruptive changes to trickle down into all the different layers of the industry. Because, you know, we have the perspective of, you know, the big KOLs who, who we like to interview and talk to in, in the conferences um, and who have, you know, really interesting things to say about, uh, all the disruptive things that are happening and, and some of the leading challenges that are being faced. But, you know, they, they represent a small and vocal minority of, of the industry. And I think the, the actually the, the, the figures that you pull out of like the ARM reports that say, you know, there are this many companies in the space, there are this many trials happening. So many of those are, are really using, um, and, you know, the, the, the more established um, processing technologies that they can reference research literature about solve their challenges um, and that they're comfortable with using um, because they're well established. And, you know, I think what's interesting to consider is how, how much inertia there is in, in the industry with, 
adopting um, innovative, disruptive solutions to these kind of challenges. And it kind of speaks a little bit to, to the question that, that I'm interested in, in talking about as well. Um, because, you know, it, it's, it's not like uh, we're tech companies that can pivot towards um, something hot within a few weeks. These drugs have life cycles and the development takes a very long time. And the commitment that you require to a certain bioprocessing solution is something that really slows down the rate at which te uh, therapeutics companies can adopt new um, new solutions to, to these challenges. So, you know, I don't know, I don't have an answer that I'm kind of more highlighting why, why it's a bigger problem and a deeper problem than uh, maybe Anthony maybe speaks to your question a little bit about why we haven't seen quite the success that we've had, although that we'd have liked to have had. Um, yeah. Because this industry does does take a long time to develop. It's very complex and, you know, the regulatory barriers is very high and there's a lot of reasons why um, things have to be done slowly. So, yeah, first of all, I think yeah. you just called me, uh, I think Oliver just called me small and vocal. <laughs> small and vocal? Look, I think this is, as you as you as you correctly observed, Ollie, uh, it's been a bit of a pet peeve of mine over the last year or more that after the initial run of approvals of Yes Carter and Lux Turner and Kim Raya, uh, the field has frankly disappointed in terms of commercial approvals. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen you know, Zintegro have a lot of problems. We've seen Zolgensma you know, come to the market amidst uh, different problems of its own. And just last week, we saw Tecatus uh, come to the market. A uh, bit of a milestone there in that Kite Gilead is now the, the first company with two uh, gene-modified um, autologous cell therapies uh, with uh, Yescata as well as Tecatus. And again, came to the market with spectacular clinical data from the, uh, the Zuma 2 trial, which is again, a phase two trial yielding a market, uh, marketing authorization. And the numbers for Tecatus were amazing. Um, you know, 87% reduction of tumor burden uh, in relapsed refractory uh, mantle cell and complete uh, tumor eradication in 62% of participants. And these participants had all had uh, up to five uh, previous treatments. So another amazing body of clinical data. And you know, clearly this, this approach to disease is working fantastically well in the clinic, but I'm still serially disappointed in the absolute number of commercial approvals. And I think that the, your, your question of you know, why, why are things, all things CMC, still as slow moving as they always have been for multiple decades, let's face it, Ollie. Yeah. And, uh, and Dave, I know you, you, you've always echoed this point that, uh, that they, you know, frankly, the CMC field remains constipated. And how long can this go on uh, in the face of often overwhelming, uh, overwhelmingly positive clinical data? Oh, agreed, Anthony. I think the CMC is, very, is always going to be a challenge for us. I think that we have not had the technologies that have stepped up. Uh, we did the work, you know, ten year, almost 10 years ago on looking at all the different bioreactors on, on upstream. We, um, we tried to find solutions on the downstream and we never were able to find a good concentration washing step without losing so many cells. Um, you know, 
we continue to have particle problems and fill finish problems and we haven't solved these solutions and we've been around for what 10 years ten, more than 10 years that yeah. we've had these same issues and this will actually block i think even into the you know we're talking about allogeneic but even on the autologous side we still have those same issues you know we in the all of these small units still have trouble with they can ups they can increase the quantity of cells in their upstream in their expansion but they're losing cells on the downstream the purification the some some way to get healthy cells into that valve that is you know injectable and ready to go for the patient these things have continued to challenge us and then you know as you know i i moved now to a a, a raw material company with with akron uh, there is the next step, which is these continue to be issues. The CMC, the critical raw materials tend to be um, challenges. Usually we have a single source. Usually we don't have very well defined raw materials that are going into these. And there's different regulations across the world that will mean that you may have to use different raw materials in different parts of the world. Um, so all these things, there's... I think the hurdle for getting an approval continues to be high and we haven't solved some of the basics. So going back to Ollie's point is, are those two things at conflict getting more innovation versus getting approval? Cause with Ollie's point around, you know, it's getting you know the speed of innovation of bringing in platforms that could solve some of these problems means that you've got to try something different and try something new and yeah. maybe for yeah. an organization like stem matters that might be easier to do i don't you know i'm, I'm just just guessing but then for an organization like where you were previously at dave if you take lonza i mean how easy is it for them to say you know what we're going to we're actively going to look for new platforms to try and solve some of these problems. Some might work, some might not, but yeah, let's allocate some budget to, to try this stuff out. And, and we, you know, the funny thing is we did that. I, that was, um, you know, you, you remember John Raleigh was used to be at, what was it? And at that point he was doing basic work. He was trying, Ed and Lonza trying to determine what was the best bioreactor? What was the best control system? And in the end, it was not, even though that was published and put out there, it was not really well accepted by the industry. It didn't because everyone wanted to do their own. They wanted to build because of the need for process IP and cell therapy. Everyone wanted their own system, their own control of it. And I think that we as an industry don't have that chose cell mindset you know hey i'm going to stick my yeah. protein in the chose cell we're going to run it in somebody's you know system that's working we don't see that so we haven't solved some basic issues you know like i said we haven't signed concentration steps very well we haven't solved particles particles in our final product and quite often we don't our assays look at viable cells that thaw they don't look at how healthy those cells are at thaw. We don't look at plating efficiencies and cell health, which should be pretty standard. Um, I think we have a thing. 
the challenges we're facing on approval are all around CMC because we were kind of busy working under the radar and didn't really solve the big problems that were going to hit the industry. My belief. So many of the recent uh, delays and approvals, uh, all public information um, have revolved around, uh, around CMC. You know, two Celgene CAR-T products have incurred delays this year, uh, moving toward their marketing authorization. Um, Zinteglo has had its own problems, CMC related in Europe. And uh, we believe there are other drugs in the commercialization pipeline uh, who have met further significant uh, CMC headwinds. One of my one of my personal frustrations uh, with regulators, and uh, I hate to you know, pick on the FDA in this way. This is actually a unique opportunity to for you all to watch somebody commit professional suicide uh, while live streaming on the internet. Here is that the the FDA has been just super uh, forward thinking in clinical development. You know they've really embraced uh, you know rolling trial designs, adaptive trial designs, uh, innovative clinical tools that we wouldn't have dreamed of uh, a, a few years or a decade ago. Uh, but I do not see that level of innovation in the way that regulators allow uh, what I might call, Dave, you know, and Ollie, CMC providers. They, they do not allow them uh, that latitude uh, in innovation. Let me give you a quick example. Um, in June, the FDA launched an initiative called Project Patient Voice. It came out of the Oncology Center of Excellence, OCE, at the FDA. And this is a, a new initiative to allow uh, patients and, uh, and healthcare pros uh, to disclose their own experiences uh, while they are participants in clinical trials. You know, this, this is crazy and, and crazy good to have give the patient's voice uh, during clinical trials uh, an official venue for articulating to regulators. And I, I wish, you know, once again, uh, you know, looking at you, uh, Peter Marks, uh, and your relatively new commissioner, uh, you know, what about CMC providers' voices uh, and their opinions on how to uh, conduct themselves in supporting innovation in this field? Anthony, I'll go, I'll add on to that. So since you were you going to the FDA. Two people, two people committing professional suicide. Yeah. Time. So at least I'm going to attack mine. Mine's a, a few thousand miles away. Um, as we did talk with the PMDA, uh, since I spent my last couple years there. Yeah. Um, the PMDA made it very clear where Skagagaki gives you fast track around your clinical. Yes. It's absolutely positive. They're very positive to it. There is no relief at all on CMC. So they're expecting full packets, full, full CMC filings for everything. So all your validations, all your, your raw materials, all your testings, all your assays, all your, you know, everything that you would normally put into a CMC for a full approval required. Yet you have to do it earlier and faster. And once again, Tecatus comes out of a phase two how many phase two manufacturing processes are commercial ready? Uh, you know, have you even done your 
you know, critical parameters yet. Have you thought about doing how you do your, your process limitation studies? Those are all expected, Anthony, and it's crazy right now. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the, the thing that trips everyone up, I believe. Yeah, Michael, we need, we need to get somebody from the FDA uh, to speak to this. Uh, would you give them a call? Next guest. Let's get them yeah. on. But does that... Have we answered your question, Ollie? Because yeah. going back to that innovation point, it, it feels yeah. like it's just really... It, it, I'm concerned about what's the motivation for someone to try and innovate if regulators are making it very hard to succeed if you do. Hmm. Well, it's clear that the real opportunity for innovation is, I think, in, in, in the analytical side of things. Um, you know, it's always been, I think, a bit of a uh, something that everyone's kind of agreed on from the outset, really. I mean, characterizing cell products always, always been at, at the core of, of every challenge that we're talking about, really, right? And I think you know, the, the most disruptive innovation for me, in my view, is going to come come that way. And um, I think that's, you know, I've, I was reading a little about some of the the analytical controls involved in the downstream production part of the process um, leading up to this. And, you know, selecting um, or deselecting certain cell phenotypes in when you're producing very high densities of billions of cells and, and concentrating them down. You know the analytical controls needed there are uh, just inadequate to really support any um, any innovation in in even the ability to kind of concentrate wash cells on an adequate scale to to serve uh, thousands of patients. Right, so there there needs to be there needs to be innovation across the board, but analytics has got to be central to it. I mean, new new ways of of, of controlling um, what exactly the cell phenotype is and, and measuring it. I completely agree about your comment on analytics. Uh, we, you know, at Dark Horse, we've been preaching for uh, forever, basically, that if you, you, know, you, you can't control it if you can't measure it. And yeah. I think that there was an enormously fertile ground there. I'm actually very optimistic, uh, Ollie. I think there's a, lot of, um, there's a lot of analytical methods in development sort of on the postdocs bench. And I think they are ripe for harvesting by just a little bit of venture money mm -hmm. and uh, then spinning up into some of the, the big boys in the game and you know, some of the, the, the Millipore, Sartorius, Sativas yeah. uh, uh, of this world. And I think, I hope there is uh, a considerable thirst for that sort of technology. Well, if you point me towards them, I'd be happy to try and start up the company. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's more like ten companies, and actually, uh, we, we have <laughs> one at a time. Thoughts. We've had serious thoughts in that uh, direction, as you know, Michael. Um, in terms of a venture fund uh, focused on that area, but maybe that's a subject for an, a subsequent conversation with Dark Horse. Mm. But then, with you, with, with STEM Matters, is analytics a big focus for you guys? And do you, you know, are there are you trialing new platforms and things like that? Um, unfortunately for us, we kind of are at the mercy of what our clients want us to do. And, you know, uh, as I said earlier, uh, a lot of the players in the space are still using very much the same kind of technologies as have been well established. I think, yeah. you know, I, I'm going to kind of answer this question the same way I answered the other one in that, you know, we kind of need the, 
the, the, the real leaders in the field to validate these, these technologies for everyone else to be like, okay, this, this is a thing that we can use, right? So that's, that, that's how I see it from, from where I sit at STEM Matters. You know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's frustrating that, um, you know, we're not more able to try and, and support and introduce some of these, these new technologies because we have a lot of conversations with uh, startups who are, you know, developing new bioprocessing tools that we'd be really, really interested to try and get in the hands of, of our customers. And, you know, that's something that we really want to try and enable uh, to try and be a, a you know test bed for for these types of yeah. novel tools, um, and that was really you know one of the issues that I was hoping to sort of dig into here was uh, how how we can do that as a CMO. Like, is there a space where where we can be um, beta testing some some new processing tools and getting them into the hands of end users maybe earlier than than they otherwise would have done, so they can see the value of them for better or worse. And uh, and responds um, in a way that you know allows them to potentially get their CMC sorted out with the help of the of new tools that they wouldn't otherwise consider using. But maybe it's the case that you know these that companies are happy to do this stuff themselves. I'd love to know your take on this, Anthony. But I think there's an opportunity for that kind of structure and that kind of format, Ollie. Like Anthony, I'm, I'm sure that scenarios like that have happened where CDMOs have maybe not in the analytics space, but surely in, in, uh, in a sort of bioprocessing space where there's a, a partnership almost that happens in trialing new platforms. Is there an opportunity there? Yeah, uh, well, first of all, absolutely there's an opportunity uh, in, in, in our opinion. Um, secondly, we have seen instances of what you describe of, and what Oliver's hinting at as well in terms of the you know, a, an extended beta test of a new technology at a CMO. Um, honestly, they've not often gone well because too often, you know, the, the, the clinical prerogative, the, 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 the um, project management prerogative causes a premature truncation of the development phase and, you know, real life gets in the way of those things. But I think there's a couple of interesting organizations um, emerging there, which might be doing this a little differently. And uh, one I'd like to call out Elevate Bio, uh, Mitch, Mitch Feiner's new shop uh, in Boston. And he's attracted some very interesting colleagues there, like Dave Backer, who's a, a longtime veteran of this field. And I think Elevate, with their base camp uh, concept, is really trying to do things a bit differently in terms of you know, setting up some CMC. And by that, you know, they mean process as well as analytical yeah. uh, platforms for clients to come in and use. Mm -hmm. And you know, Mitch is a long-time innovator in the field, and I think Elevate's very much worth watching. And also Discovery Labs, the Deerfield-funded operation uh, in Philadelphia. Uh, I will say that, you know, although public information is, is pretty thin at the moment on what's happening over there at Disco Labs, I think they are also seeking to do something uh, somewhat different and that would be the Deerfield way uh, in this field. They've got tremendous resources and there've been some you know, eye-popping numbers in the headlines about the dollar sums going into Discovery Labs. But I think there, is an, there are people trying to address these issues and I would watch both of those places uh, quite carefully uh, going forward. That sounds like a, a yeah, that sounds really interesting because the, those, the Discovery Labs guys, they, they went big. Um, fairly recently and yes. um, these are the guys on in king of prussia right that's right 
in a legacy, a large legacy piece of real estate, which I think has considerable intrinsic value in itself. Yeah. Uh, um, but, you know, uh, the proof of the pudding will be in the eating. They, they certainly went big early in terms of the numbers, as you, as you comment. Mm. And uh, we're, we'll be, it'll be fascinating to see uh, what, what rolls out there in King of Prussia. Every episode, I like to um, post everyone to, towards a piece of content on the Facilitate Exchange website. This week, we've got something special that actually does appeal to the sort of small, early stage biotechs that, that are looking for money. Um, we got a report on non-dilutive funding sources for advanced therapy biotechs. Now, obviously, this has been, Anthony, you've mentioned this quite a few times, a, a bumper year financially for, for cell and gene therapy companies uh, and for the biotech sector in particular. Um, in terms of opportunities of financing that are non-dilutive, um, having a resource where you can actually see what those sources are, being able to apply for them as well in, in one place um, is, is quite, uh, quite unique. So if you head over to the facilitate.co.uk forward slash exchange homepage, the editor's pick this week is the non-dilutive funding sources report. So head over there and enjoy that. And I think that's an excellent uh, resource, Michael, because you know, most of the commentary I've given this year about the, uh, the raises in venture capital firms and the amount that private equity funds are uh, dispensing in this field is absolutely dilutive financing. Your financing is good, uh, period, uh, but uh, venture capital and PE are always going to be uh, diluting significantly upon funding. So any non-dilutive funding that especially startups can lay their hands on uh, pushes out that day when they need to be diluted. And I think this is going to be a very interesting resource, uh, Michael. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Nicola, Nicola put it together. And yeah, there's some organizations in there that, um, that told us about local um, competitions and, and, um, uh, and sort of um, think tanks that have put prizes up for grabs that are completely un uh, with, with with no ties whatsoever, which um, is is absolutely brilliant. And it appeals to the right to a certain kind of company, right? Um, there's obviously some kind of companies that are gung ho for that private equity uh, private equity wallet, um, but then there's other organisations where this is a, an ideal route for them, and it's it might be specific to a therapeutic area. Um, but yeah, I think that this should be, a, so if you know organizations that are in the space for that, then please direct them to that report. But on the dilutive yeah. side of things, um, this is part one. The part two will be something around the dilutive side that is currently under development. So maybe if that's something that you want to, you want to chime in on, Anthony, I know that um, this is an area in which you have some expertise in then you should definitely give Nicola a buzz and, and help her out with it. No, absolutely I will. Yeah, look forward to that. You know, me and my whole dilution factor of people. Oh yeah. There's not how many people do we have in all the cell therapy world who know uh, anything about CMC? Yeah. No, they're I mean, all on, they're all on my uh, LinkedIn 
friend right. and yeah it's 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 yeah and we, we we and we try to hire as many of them as we can lay our hands on <laughs> yeah well i mean if you think about it you there's no one who has probably ever done a a filing a, a ctd there's almost no one who's done a process validation even to do a, a critical process parameter analysis is almost no one's ever done one um it's kind of amazing how we're going to struggle with finding people who can actually do this. Essentially, if we ramp up to what you were suggesting, Anthony, to let's say we, we have, we want to now go to a set of four approvals or five approvals. We need to get 10 a year. Oh, I mean, I'd take four a year right now. Um, Dave, we're not going to hit that. Yeah. But even if you could do 10 a year, like, yeah. like, proposing Could, are there the people there to actually pull it through nope 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 ollie how many people are in your course now when how many years ago did you graduate from king's and uh four years ago and i think there are now about um 15 something like okay that. I mean, small, but. i'll tell you what we're doing in this regard we actually do have multiple uh imminently pre-commercial clients who we are taking through all of the procedures that you mentioned, uh, which have been so rarely uh, accomplished in our field. And when we bring on new junior consultants, uh, we allow them, we not only allow them, but we insist that they shadow on these late stage commercial projects. So they get the experience uh, firsthand with a front row seat of how these late stage, you know, PPQs, establishing the CPPs, CQAs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, are actually enacted in a real time context of a BLA or an MAA filing. And that's the only way we can expand you know, more than organically uh, to provide this uh, commercial skill set. That's brilliant. I like that. That's great exposure. We like it, they like it, and the, they uh, there was a, you know, a clamor among our consultants, the senior consultants, to get on these shadowing uh, programs for the coolest projects. Nice. Um, all right, guys, look, I think we can pretty much wrap it up there for, for this evening. I really appreciate the fact that you guys have found the time under really short notice to, to come and join me. Um, from each of you, Ollie and Dave, um, do you each want to, is there anything about your organizations that you're up to at the moment? Ollie, is there anything that STEM Matters are up to that you want to you plug in and, uh, and use some airtime to talk about? Um, yeah, sure. So, I mean, I, th I think for, for STEM Matters, you know, we, we're, we're a fairly young CMO that um, is, you know, really trying to grow quickly in, in the cell therapy space. Um, and I think one of the major bottlenecks that, you know, we have in, in the CMO space in cell therapy is just the scale of demand that, that is required. And, you know, you hear a lot of reports around the, the wait time that, uh, that CMOs have and how inaccessible some of them are. So um, as a, you know, a relatively uh, newer CMO in the space, um, I just want to encourage people to, to, to get in touch and, and see if we've got availability for you. Um, I think you'd be surprised uh, what we can do for you. So Portugal's a beautiful place. I haven't been there in a while, unfortunately, but I always enjoy going there. I mean, it's always good weather and the wine is, is top draw. So 
uh, it's it's got a lot of soft power. <laughs> nice. The more the better, Oliver. You know, welcome to STEM matters to to the field, and uh, we can't have too many accomplished CDMOs in this field at the moment. Definitely yeah. not. Yeah. Not. I'll include your, your, your email address and your company details in the show notes. Thank you very and, much. And um, yeah, yeah, it'd be great to, to drive some, some, some interest your way. And Dave, obviously, um, Akron is, is, is a good friend of, of, of Facilitates and very familiar with, with Anthony, but um, there's, yeah, and, and Claudia is always up to something. Um, <laughs> Is there anything that you guys want to want, want the audience to know about in particular? Oh, I, I think we have some press releases that will come out shortly, but we can't talk about. But I think the, the, bigger, the bigger part of this is, you know, I was in the, the CMO space early, early, and we, we worked on building solutions in those early days. I think that this is a, a new area where we have to kind of start building and solving issues. The, as we were just talking about, the a lot of the raw material and a lot of the things that we do have not been feeding into the CMC smoothly. I think this is where, you know, Akron has been very active in, in filing DMFs, elect even electronic DMFs now. Um, they're trying to get ahead of the curves to make it simple for our customers to utilize our data, you know, as early as possible. So, uh, where we have lots of things coming and we're going to be really aggressive going forward. And it's all just to make it easier for you to file your CMC. We also miss the conference circuit, your conference circuit, especially Michael, as a means of uh, meeting the best people in our field. And we're still uh, praying that it will resume sooner rather than later. And you just reminded me, uh, yeah, I, I, I miss the conference circuit too. Like I think it could potentially be an entire 12 months of me not leaving this building um <laughs> but uh, in south wales but um i owe you a contact for your a real estate contact in london oh yeah. yeah 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 thanks for yeah, that you just reminded me yeah good good all right guys thank you so much for joining me i really really do hope that we get to meet again in person with a glass of wine or a beer uh, and and be able to talk about all this stuff and more um, very, very soon. Um, look, enjoy the rest of your evenings and, and everyone watching from home, thank you so much for joining us for Facilitate Talks. We'll see you all again soon. Thank you, Michael. Thanks. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye.